0: This morning we're going to be reading from Malachi, chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Melissa. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sean. Uh, I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Our TED Talk cool Britney Spears mic is broken, so I'm going to be rocking this uh, handheld here. Um, So uh, if you're new here, just know uh, Redemption Church is one church with uh, nine different congregations in the state of Arizona. Um, Our philosophy is pretty intentional. Each one of those congregations is elder-led and lead pastor-led. So I'm the lead pastor here. I'm one of five elders here. Um, You might have you know, experience redemption in a different uh, contexts at Alhambra or Gilbert, and it's always going to look a little bit different, but we do have some boundaries that hold us together as well. Um, if you have questions at all about what that looks like and why we do it, i love to help you navigate that. Myself and some of the leaders will be by the connect us as you walk out. And if you've honestly, if you've never said hi before, come up and say hi. Um, it's always good to, to meet you if you've been coming, especially there's been a long stream. Some of y'all are trying to like set records because I met some of you like, I've been, we've been coming for a year and a half, never came up. I'm like, bro, a year and a half, like. We could have got married at this point. Um, so anyway, for whatever that's worth. Um, so uh, I'm going to pray. We're in the book of Malachi. I'll give us some context here in a second. Um, I, I want to kind of just put it in front of you now before I pray, though, the idea um, of us going through Malachi wasn't an easy one as it was put on the table, uh, because the reality of Malachi is it's, um, it's pretty straightforward in what it talks about. You know, I uh, the last year and a half, I've been trying to get my mind around politics. I've kind of always brushed it off, as, as most um, older millennials do, as kind of like, ah, I don't know, it's too complicated. I don't want to get involved in the weeds. And I just decided I didn't want that to be the case. Um, I ended up reading Grudem's Politics. I watched like 95% of the Kavanaugh trial. My 19-year-old self would have been highly disappointed in who I've become. And, I, and, and what's funny, the reason I bring it up is because I've been listening to the Trump stuff, uh, the impeachment trials, in and out. And it is clear, like I'm not going to get into all the nuances and who and what and all that stuff, but it is clear, one, everyone loves to use the term barisma a lot. Um, Number two, um, nobody is walking in there um, expecting or willing to admit they are wrong, honestly. I mean, both sides, you could plainly like show on one side or the other, and everyone is just where they are. Because the reality is it's not easy to admit when you're wrong. It's not easy to see something, and and maybe you have good motives even why you wouldn't want to admit that you're wrong here. Um, But the reality is Malachi um, helps us navigate this because what would be helpful in these Trump trials or Kavanaugh is if we had a benevolent, all-knowing, all-powerful leader Um, and we were under a theocracy and he would go, here's the rule. Here's what we're doing. We would go, okay, well, that makes sense. He knows everything and he's all powerful and all loving and we don't have that, right? And so there's, uh, uh, broken parts of everything we experience and Malachi is calling us back to where we need to go in certain areas. And so we're going to unpack some of that, uh, this morning. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into Malachi too. Father, thank you, um, again, for the ability to, to sit under the authority of your word. And, um, as we wrestle with, uh, Chapter 2 in Malachi, verses 10 through 16. We pray that you would illuminate the text. We pray that you would show us um, what things in our own life we need to change, uh, adjust, um, add, take away. We pray that you would um, draw us more towards you. We'd have a strong affection in seeing um, what you want us to see here this morning. Help us with that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, um, this is only the third uh, Sunday we've been in Malachi. We're going to spend three more after this. And it's important for you to know the first one started with this idea that God loves us. So before he gets into this strong rebuke of what has been going on, because you might not be aware of this, there's been a hundred year period where the people of God have been rescued out of captivity. They're now back uh, where they're supposed to be in their land, but they reverted to old habits and they're acting all kinds of crazy. And as they act this way, Malachi comes on the scene, he begins to call him out. But before he calls them out, he wants them to know, I love you. I, I've always loved you. And the response is, well, how have you loved us? And he gives this declaration because I called you. I loved you before you loved yourself, before you were even a thought for your parents, before your parents were a thought. I've loved you. I, I chose you. And the, the, the idea we talked about was election. So we kind of navigated that. And then he begins to get into the rebuke. And from there, what we found is Chris, who was up here last week, who I thought killed it, um, he, he gave us this idea and put it in front of us that um, this whole thing needs to be starting with the leaders. The leaders are the first people I'm going to address, and there's compromise in the house of Judah with the people of God, and compromise isn't Okay. And so from there, he's now going to begin to um, move through certain ways that the people of God are compromising, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the text. Um, Today's text is definitely, um, it's uniquely different. I'll say that. Uh, There's certain parts uh, of scripture where I've come up here and I said, it just required a lot more studying, and this is definitely one of them. It happens four or five times a year um, just because of the background that some of you are even bringing to this text, which some of you might not be aware of, and I'll unpack all of that. So let me read it. For us, um, I'm, we're going to read verse uh, 10, starting in verse 10, if you have your Bible there in Malachi chapter 2. If you don't know where Malachi is, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So you'll see all these books, and then the last one before you get to the book of Matthew. It says this in verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. So the first declaration that Malachi is uh, putting in front of us. hey, listen, we are all one family, right? We're all together as the people. We're all in this together, one community. And because this is true, here we are. Why are we being faithless to one another? Now he expounds on that and I'll explain it a little bit more. It says this, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Okay, so we're going to need me to unpack a lot of this, right? So that's what we're going to do here. There's a few things I want you to see. If you can look at your Bibles there in verses 10 through 16, you're going to see this word a lot. It's the word faithless, okay? And um, if you have a different translation, as a matter of fact, I, I think yeah, I wrote these down. If you have the NASB, the KJV, and the uh, HCSB, if you have one of those translations, you actually, I think those translations do a better job of unpacking this Hebrew word than the ESV does. Because I don't think faithless, I know why it's there, and I can see why it's there. But if you think faithless, you think there's something you should be doing and you're not doing. And I don't think that's what's happening here. God is calling uh, the people of God on the carpet, not because of necessarily what they're not doing, but because they're they're doing something in comparison to what they should be doing and your translation I think is a better word there and this is the word that I think would be uh, better to put in there treacherous why is the people of God why, why have they been treacherous. To one another there 's an intentionality of I am intentionally not doing what i 'm supposed to be doing, not, not just lazy i 'm intentionally um, going after this one community, these people in this community i 'm not just being faithless but i 'm being faithless to something intentionally towards a covenant. So when we read this for judas profane the sanctuary of the Lord, for he loves and he 's married the daughter of foreign god, a foreign god. We're going to unpack, but the idea is it's not just, I don't know, we're lazy and foreign gods kind of came into the scene, and we're just marrying other women. No, there's an intentionality of pursuits uh, in, in, in what we see here. So uh, let's go to 13, and then we're going to uh, unpack all this. We're actually going to go through this, and we're going to have to go on a, a pretty large side tangent uh, for us to understand what's going on in this text. But we don't have a lot of clarity as, so far, the background of what, what, what's happening. Are people leaving their wives for foreign god, uh, women, and uh, we don't know what's going on. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he has no, uh, no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Um, the week, if you were here the first week, I said, there's going to be a cadence to the book of Malachi. There are six times where there's a declaration on behalf of the Lord. It says, you're doing this. And then there's a, uh, the cadence is You know that he's kind of changing topics as the Lord says, you're doing this. Then the people of God say, well, how have we done this? And then God begins to explain. And our declaration here that you can see there in, in verses 13 and 14, uh, the declaration, the first declaration is you go to make these offerings, but God's saying, I don't accept them. So I want you to imagine we just saying worship and worship is such a, just worship is such a beautiful moment if you're having like what Josh was explaining in moments of like just off and you just sing to the Lord. There's something beautiful about that. Unshine back to here. Okay. Um, so, so there's, there's something, something to be aware of that we can see here that the people of God are bringing this offering right now. Imagine us singing to the Lord and God saying, I don't care what you have to say. You're, you're trying to worship with all of your heart. You're trying to pray. And God says, I don't want to hear your words. And so the people of God in this moment go, well, why don't, why don't you accept our offerings? How, what's the reason? And then from there, he explains the reason, okay? So this is what we get in verses 14 through 16. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, that were treacherous there, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirits in their union? So in short, husbands are being treacherous towards their wives. We're going to unpack a lot of that towards the wives of their youth. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says uh, the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in the spirit and do not be Faithless, okay. So, there's a lot we got to unpack here, um, for multiple reasons, which I'll explain. So, let me give you two caveats before um, we take this long side tangent and then come back to our text. Number one, um, there are moments in Scripture, and it's just the reality, where um, it doesn't speak to a broad people. So if you take the letters of the Apostle Paul, there's many times where he's just speaking to the church at large. This is true for all of us. We're all to love one another. But then there are other parts where he specifically hones in on a certain people group. And I don't mean ethnically. Maybe it's a, the fathers in our faith, or the mothers in our faith, or to the children, right? Or to slaves, or bonds, or whatever it is, right? So there's a part where where Scripture goes, let me talk specifically to the this demographic. And in Malachi, that's what's happening here. But it's not just a specific demographic. It's a specific part of that specific demographic, meaning the text today is going to speak to husbands, but not just husbands, husbands who are being treacherous to their wives. Okay? And so you might feel for a moment, well, this isn't me or whatever it is. I would encourage you, stay tuned and, and track with what's going on here. Because at bare minimum, you're going to see the side of, of God's heart that you might not have seen before. And you're going to go, that's the kind of God I want to follow. Okay, So, so here's what, what I mean uh, by that. Oh, the second tangent. Let me just kind of uh, do this uh, but, or before we get to that tangent. The second thing I want to say before we kind of go off on this road is um, let me just give what I think this text is saying and then unpack it meaning I want to kind of show my cards up front. The reality is um, when we gather together on Sunday, that we go through the scripture and then we go, can we see this, right? What, what, I, what I think would be better is, let me show you here what I think the text is saying um, because there's a lot of you who have, um, are, are coming again because of verse, verse 16 specifically with some, some background of what you think this means. And so here's what I think is going on. The people of God, the men specifically, in the, with the people of God, um, are uh, married to their wives, the wives of their youth, And now as they begin to interact with other countries, um, specifically just faith countries, don't think uh, ethnically, but rather think different faiths, they are leaving the wives of their youth and they are marrying these new younger um, women who serve and love other foreign gods. So God's not happy about this, okay? So that's what I want to unpack. What, what, what's happened? How do we get here? The context, all of that. And, and I think there's going to be a bunch of things uh, said. But because, and here's the last thing I'll say before we, we go on this road. But because um, many pastors within Redemption Church, when we said we're going to go through the book of Malachi, many of you made this declaration, God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. Because so many of you have come to that conclusion and have said that, and I would argue and we would argue and contend that's not what this text is saying, then we have to um, at least minimum preach two sermons this morning. We have to teach what this text is not saying, and then we have to teach what this text is saying. Okay? So let me go on this large tangent. I hope that makes sense. But as I said, if you want to uh, open there, look specifically at verse 16. Okay, we're going to unpack this, and, and I want to uh, get behind what, what this is, is not saying here. Um, so in the ESV, it says this, For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord. Now, if you kind of grew up with a different translation, now, since I gave before the NASB and the, the KJV and the HCSB uh, some love before, uh, let me... Let me um, go against them for a second. Um, In in verse 16, if you have the NASB, you're going to read the words for I, being God, I hate divorce. If you're old school and you have the KJV, you're going to see that it says he, God, hateth putting away, which is hates divorce. In the HCSB, it says he hates divorce, the divorce of his wife. Um, In the NIV, if you have the NIV uh, 2011 version, it says this, the man who hates and divorces his wife, which is, let's just be honest, here's the reality. There's a lot of different translations there. A different translations. In one moment, it feels like God is saying uh, he hates divorce. Do not get divorced. The other side, especially the NIV, let me read it to you again. The man who hates and divorces his wife, it seems like the hate is put on the man towards his wife. And so we just got to stop and go, what is this saying? Because what it is saying is really, really, really important. Let me read a quote to you from Gordon P. Hunden, uh, uh, Hungenberger, legit last name. Let's admit it. Um, The Hebrew text of this verse is one of the most difficult passages in the Old Testament to translate. This verse is strongly disputed. So as we're going to unpack this, I want you to know it is not easy to unpack this, but let me give you a little bit of history of where where this uh, verse has come from. If you're new to the faith, like I was when I got saved in high school, you're not going to be aware of any of this, so let me open your eyes for a second. Um, For the last hundred years, this verse has been used not just exegetically the wrong way, but it's used in application the wrong way. What we have experienced in the history of being a pastor, not my own experience um, once actually, but multiple men who are, have been before me have experienced a husband in a situation who is abusive towards his wife, and the wife being stuck in that marriage, um, verbal, physical, mental, financial abuse, and in this, this woman feeling stuck because the husband would declare, "Malachi 216, God hates divorce. Don't get divorced." Don't get divorced. And it's not just from the husband, but as the woman comes in moments, some of the stories that I've been reading and hearing quite literally, physically black and blue, sitting at the pastor, the pastor, then making the declaration, which this is always where we go. Let's get into a conversation of separating, but not divorce. And then the woman eventually kind of being put back in that situation all because of this declaration. God hates divorce. So let me make a a first, maybe provocative statement nowhere else in scripture does it say, and I don't think it says it here, that God hates divorce. To be clear, the things that God hates, he always hates. And what we find in scripture a lot is there are exceptions to divorce. So we gotta begin to at least unpack that. Now, when I say abuse, there's a few things I want you to know, because I think there might be a few things that you hear. Uh, I wrote these down for uh, help. One, I just said it. I don't just mean physical abuse. I mean financial abuse, um, versions of control, manipulation, whatever it is. Number two, I'm not just talking. um, We had two encounters of the stories that came up where this was women towards men. So I'm not just talking men towards women. And number three, um, we're talking patterns here, okay? The reality is um, your spouse will just be a terrible human sometimes, That's just true, okay? And we're not talking about just being a terrible human sometimes. We're talking unapologetically a consistent pattern of abuse, of control, of manipulation. It's these type of things that this scripture has been used towards. So I know I said I had to preach two sermons. This first one is, I want to be clear, that's not what the text says. As a matter of fact, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, the overwhelming number one question that came out when we talked about divorce in the Sermon on the Mount was, well, what about What about abuse? What do we do with abuse? And so um, I want to kind of process what some of that is. So let me give you the argument of where we've been in regards to divorce, because this is in a lot of ways what the passage is about, but we've got to unpack it at different angles. So um, without question, we believe that marriage is God's idea. God designed it in such a way that it would be good for humanity. That doesn't mean all humanity has to partake in it. Jesus himself, Paul the apostle did not partake in it, but it is a good thing. For men, for men and women to come together in, in matrimony. That's a good thing. God declares this. There's another side of this, though, that we also have to recognize. God has a beautiful order from the beginning. And that's where Jesus always points towards the way that it was in the beginning. But there's also something else that takes place. Though God has a beautiful order, the world is broken. And God hates that the world is broken. If he hates anything, he hates that the world is broken. And because the world is broken, there are what we use terms of exception when he in his beautiful order to mitigate pain that he goes, for example, if you read Matthew 5, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7, that he looks at, at marriage and he goes, I've brought these two together. But there can get to a point where things are so broken that I say it's okay for them to separate. And it's not he's pro-separation or pro-divorce in that moment, but because of the brokenness of the world, this is what we experience. Now, the way that you can memorize these two things and the way we've always used them is, number one, adultery. Think of A's. And number two, abandonment. It's the way that we've always processed this. The first idea is that um, if you are married to someone and they commit adultery against you, they sleep with someone else, then you are free to uh, uh, divorce them. And I'm going to read that text here in a second. The other side is in 1 Corinthians 7, that if you're married to a non-believer, that non-believer wants nothing to do with you and the faith that you hold to, and they abandon you. They don't take care of you. And I would even argue um, this could be some versions of Exodus 21, even if you are believers, which we're going to unpack here in a second, the idea that as they abandon you, then you are free. You're free. So those are the two exceptions that we've always put on the table. If you've signed the membership packet, you know that that's the the case. So let me read to you something, because this is what's interesting. What has historically happened for some of you is you hear, well, okay, so we can get divorced. And I'm just going to say, if you're under the age of 30, for the most part, if I could just speak for this generation for a second, I deal more with people trying to get out of marriages and using the exceptions. Almost as if um, Jesus gives us a, a kind of a liberal trap door to get out of the situation that you're in. What you don't understand is Jesus is actually tightening the reins of what's going on. The history of what we find in Deuteronomy 24 is the idea that men were just divorcing their wives for any reason they wanted to. I don't like the way she looks this morning. I don't like the way she treated me here. I don't like what she said. And so they would file a certificate of divorce. This is exactly what Matthew 19 says. Let me read Matthew 19 to you. The Pharisees come up to Jesus. This is what they say. And the Pharisees came to him, being Jesus, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Jesus is so legit. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He gives a quick quick theology on marriage. And the two shall become one flesh, referencing back to Genesis 1 and 2. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one of you to give, uh, one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So Deuteronomy 24, this is, if you want to go back and you can do all the work on that. The reality is what Moses says, fine, give a certificate of divorce if you want to uh, divorce your wife. And even in that moment, I would argue God's mitigating some things, the unfaithfulness of men in this situation. But now listen to what Jesus does. It's not that he's opening a door for divorce. He's closing that. He's making it more narrow. Listen to this. He says this. He said to them, because of your hard, uh, a hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. So that except there is not opening things up liberally. It's making things more conservative. You can't just get divorced for any reason. I'm telling you, listen, If this happens, let's talk. But there's not all this like willy-nilly, just get divorced for any reason. He's closing the door. And this is what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. The reality is what we have is we have Jesus standing on a mountain, okay? As he stands on this mountain, he's proclaiming commands. We have in our mind, and if you don't, I promise you the Jews did, one other time in Scripture where that's happening, one other time where a man is standing on a mountain giving commands. We read it in the book of Exodus. It was Moses giving the law. Jesus now in every commentator, anybody who who uh, uh, legitimately takes the Bible seriously would see the connection here and go, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Because that's what he does in the sermon. He reorients what was said in the Old Testament. Just give a certificate of divorce. Jesus constantly makes it more narrow. To the point of Matthew 5, uh, 31 and 32. It says this. And it also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me be clear. Jesus, in this moment, is protecting women. Women in this culture are treated less than dogs if they were to be divorced or separated. And in this moment, Jesus sees what's going on and says, it's not okay for you to do that. I mean, the word of God is seeping care for the marginalized. This is actually what Todd Bordeaux, I read a book preparing for this specific sermon called, What Does God Really Think About Divorce? And, and his quote, uh, Todd Bordeaux's quote, I think was very helpful. It says this, The Mosaic's, Mosaic Law's allowance for divorce cannot be read without seeing the underlining love and care of God for the weak and the helpless among the people. In this uh, case, the weak and helpless are the married women in Israel. So when you read verses like 1 Corinthians 7 and you read Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, it's not that God is saying, see, you could just get divorced. Here's a reason. Here's an outs. You need to understand God's heart is actually the opposite. He's pushing, he's pushing against the sin that is on the table that naturally our heart wants to go, well, I, I want to I remove from, myself from this. I don't like what's going on. And he begins to make things a little stronger as he continues to press towards this idea of I care for women. So with that on the table, For some of you not aware of uh, where this text has been brought and how it's been misused, let's go back to the scripture. Okay? We got time. Don't worry. Let's go back to the scripture. Specifically, I want to go back to um, 14 and 15. Uh, Let's start. Let's pick it up with, uh, let's go 15. Um, Yeah. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So let's just stop. The context is, let me remind you of the context again. In this situation, Israel is dealing with um, other faiths as they interact with other faiths. A man now is married to a woman. He sees some, something shinier. He sees something newer. And now he leaves the wife of his youth to marry this new shiny toy. And what happens is God says, I want godly offspring. And the reason he makes this declaration is because now that you marry a foreign woman, not ethnically, but of another faith, because you do this, your children are not going to be um, of the faith of Judaism. And this is a problem. This is why I gave you marriage. I want you to grow in this way. Just side point real quick. The hope would be this is what we're doing as a church. That God would generationally bless us, right? And this is why I'm grateful for people like the Tobys, the Macklins, uh, the Ellis's, who who some of you in this are their children, who I just described, are their children sitting in here right now. And the hope would be that your children love Jesus the way that you love Jesus, the way that your parents taught you to love Jesus, that our faith in Christianity, yes, would grow through missions, yes, would go through evangelism, but it would also grow through family. That we would have generation upon generation, that as we do child dedications twice a year and we do this, as we continue to put these things in front of us, that those kids one day would be the pastors of this church. That's the hope. And this is what God is saying. And maybe it's hard for you to understand, like if you don't have kids or you just got little ones, but I promise those who are older in the, uh, in the faith right now and have kids, this is the hope. That this faith would grow, and this is what God wanted to see in his people. We would grow through this way, but now you've left um, this beautiful direction to, to, to go towards something shiny. The next part of this um, is striking. It says, so guard yourself in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. I want to stop real quick. In the same way that we explain treachery or faithless, um, this term, the wife of your youth, probably should be paused on for a second, okay? I need you to just meditate on this with me for a second. Um, so here's a reality. Um, when I was 20 years old, I was a terrible human being, okay? Now, today, I'm less of a terrible human being, okay? But the, the, the reality is, in the course of that time, the wife of my youth was with me. And you know who didn't leave me when I was a terrible human being? The wife of my youth. You, you know who was there when I had strong anger, outburst tendencies? The wife of my youth. You know who's there like when I went off like the rail spiritually, I felt like we weren't doing enough. I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to move. I'm quite literally ready to move our family to live in tents in the desert. That's how like I want, that's the direction I want to go. And you know who endured that? The wife of my youth. When I punched a hole in the wall because I wasn't getting sleep when I was younger. You know who was there? The wife of my youth when I was demeaning, when I was demanding, when I was a jerk, unloaded in unsanctified ways, as I continue to just uh, berate her in all the wrong ways when we were teenagers. But you know who stuck with me through all of that? Who, who now, because of her, through the work of the Holy Spirit, watching her work and continuing to take that from me, who was always there, the wife of my youth. Now, I want you to imagine for a second at this point, I, I see the wife of my youth, and I see all that she has seen in the unsanctified version of who I am. Now, the, the reality is this is true for your kids, and this is true for the, the husband of your youth. It's all true, but at least for my situation that I'm putting in front of us and the text that's here, the wife of, her, uh, of our youth, the wife of my youth, has endured a lot. As she bore my children, those kids did things to our bodies that I'll never understand. All the moms in the room say yes and amen, right? Now imagine for a second, I see a 20 year old girl walk in and she doesn't believe in Jesus, but I like how she looks. And I want you to think for a second, how awesome she might think I am because she sees a 15 year, a 20 year later version of Sean Myers. She, she doesn't see who I was long ago. You know who endured that? The wife of my youth. She got the unsanctified version of who I was. And so now I see this woman and she thinks I'm awesome. She doesn't know what I did. Now imagine how treacherous, how treacherous it would be for me to leave the wife of my youth for this new toy. God is angry. God is angry. This is something he absolutely hates. And it's not okay. So when we see this again, we, we read, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, uh, uh, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, and says, the Lord of hosts, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not be treacherous. You know, it's interesting, um, the ironic, sad tone of this text and that garment of violence is that women are now staying uh, with husbands because of the, the, the idea of God hates divorce. And God is looking at this going, man, this is not right. I hate that this is going on. And, and, and now I want to ask a question, a question that could be put on the table is, and it's a question we're probably all wrestling with and we all do wrestle. Well, then does abuse count, if they were putting these two sermons together, the first one being that it's not right for men to leave the wife of their youth, to divorce them for whatever reason, but the other side how the text has been used, if we're putting these things together, then could abuse be considered divorce? Could it be considered divorce? And at that, um, not only that, could it actually be used as divorce, but I think there's even a better question. Um, does God hate divorce? As we see, like the text, what do we do with these two texts? And I'll first and foremost say this. We really like rules as humans, um, especially the religious in the room. And that includes my own heart at times. There's many moments where I go, just tell me what to do, and I'll just do it. And so when we read this text, we want to go, okay, so wait, we're allowed on adultery? Well, is adultery? He looked at porn, therefore he did. Because if he looked at another one with less in his heart, that counts as adultery. Is it abandonment? I mean, well, he didn't pay the bills, he's gone a lot. Is that abandonment? Uh, And there's a lot of wrestling here. And so um, I want to answer the question with, does God hate divorce? And is abuse, could it be a version or a reason to get divorced? My answer to you is maybe. Maybe. Uh, We've we've been wrestling with this idea at a lead team level with all the, the lead pastors of redemption. Um, For multiple reasons, but one of which, when we come across texts like this, what we're finding is believers, men in the room specifically, and it's true for women as well, but men more so um, are in the room. And and what's happening is, as they're holding their wives because they can't divorce and because of Malachi 2.16, what we're seeing is um, they are not um, quite literally abandoning their wives, meaning they are providing, but they seem to, as we see in the text, abandon the covenant they made with her by abusing her. And so the wrestle then becomes, as we're asked, can I get divorced, we turn it back on to the man, we go, you need to stop doing this. At which point, if he says, I don't think I need to stop doing this, then we would call him out and we'd say, listen, you're not acting as a believer. And now you can see how we begin to move towards abandonment, but it's not easy. Matter of fact, as we work through our, our membership packet, one of the lines we had to add, we said this in our membership packet, it says this. Biblically, divorce is permitted, but not required on the grounds, and you'll see this, of two things, sexual immorality, so adultery, and abandonment. Now, we had to add this line because this is what we've ran into multiple times. We believe physical, sexual, and other types of abuse may be considered a form of abandonment. We've seen this where maybe you're not abandoning, like she's stuck with you. Yes, you're not getting divorced, but you've abandoned the covenant you've made with her. So, so it's not easy. I'm not telling you it's easy because we can have conversations. We'll let him separate for a while. Let him get help. All those things are on the table. That's why I say maybe. But there are two things I do want to leave you with that, that are pretty pretty for sure in this text. The first one is this. So God might hate divorce, but he definitely hates hypocrisy and abuse. Um, as a matter of fact, Jesus is most against the hypocrites. I have a list for you. I want you to think through this if you can. Um, Because I think there's one thing we can all know for for sure. That not not all hypocrites are abusers. But what I have found to be true is all abusers are hypocrites. And those of you in the room who are abusing your wife in one of these ways. In a controlling, manipulative way. And you're in this room right now. um, You're acting hypocritical. The way that you're treating her now. And the way you treat her when you get to the car. Is atrocious. So I just just something to think about. Here's a list. Do you only open the car door when you're at church or around someone else and they see? I'm not saying, well, you don't, you do that and that makes you an abuser. I'm saying these are signs. These are, these are things that you go, hey, which ways are you being uh, hypocritical? Some of the guys are going, oh my gosh, what have I done? Okay. (laughs) I'm saying these are, these are seeds that go, why are you doing it in front of people only? Signs of hypocrisy. Do you act and pray one way at church and act another way at home? Do you serve regularly at church and unapologetically use porn at home? Unapologetically is the key word there. Do you use porn and manipulate your wife into doing things that are uncomfortable to her? Do you insist on your wife submitting but not providing sacrificial love for her? Do you keep her isolated from her friends and make others think she's unspiritual? Do you compliment her at church but call her names at home? When you get mad, do you always blame her? These are just seeds. These are ways that you can think through and process. But here's what I want, to, I want to put in front of you. It is clear that men are acting treacherous, intentionally mistreating their wives, and if they're using divorce in this instance to do it, but I want to say to you, if you're in the room, and, and statistically it is within the church, at least if Barna's right, one in four to one in ten men, somewhere in there, which just there's got to be at least ten to twenty of, of the men in the room right now are acting not just uh, in, in versions of, of seeds, but you know you're acting treacherously. You know your wife right now is sitting next to you, and she knows you're abusing her. Okay? Just statistically, it's on the table in this room right now. So if that's the case, let me just, in love, I say this in love, and, and maybe you don't hear it in love, but please hear this in love. You need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. And you don't need to be afraid of me. You don't need to be afraid of the elders. Because there are very few things when you come across in the scripture and you go, wow, God really feels strongly about this. And it's when people misuse or abuse the poor and marginalized, the orphans and the widows, children and women. And you read certain verses and you go, on judgment day, this is not good. This is not good. And so I'm telling you, in love I say this, you should struggle to sleep at night for what's coming. You can have your 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, but what is coming, if you don't repent, you should struggle to close your eyes at night. God is not pleased with what's going on, especially if you're trying to use the verse to keep that wife or that woman captive to those ideas. So there's point one I want to finish. The second point, does God hate divorce or is abuse a reason? God might hate divorce, But he definitely loves marriage, and that's where I want to finish. It's clear according to this text, there's no question, God cares deeply for marriage. And this is why maybe if you're not a believer in the room, you go, man, why are like Christians so like always about marriage and anti like the the gay marriage and whatever it is? Because let me just, here's the reality. There's not a lot of symbolism we get within Christianity where God says, I want you to see this as the church and Christ and them in relationship with one another. But we see in Ephesians 5, that's what he does with marriage. The symbol God chooses to use with how much he cares about you and I is marriage. God desperately cares. And so when there's a treachery involved, Jesus says that's not the way it's supposed to be done. You want to know the way it's supposed to be done? My life is given away for Candace. What is best for Candace? What does she need? I'm the biggest servant. I should be the biggest servant in my household. You understand? And this makes marriage beautiful. And he cares about this from the beginning. What's crazy about the whole idea of marriage. If you just were to read the beginning of your, uh, of the book uh, of the Bible and the end of the Bible, it both starts and ends with marriage. This symbol that we have, God says, this is something that, that shouldn't be broken. This is something that we shouldn't find faithlessness. in. this is something that I care deeply about. So you care about it. You fight for it. You work on it. You continue to press into all the ways that I'm telling you marriage is supposed to look. My prayer would be that that's exactly what we do. We hear the declaration in here, and yes, it is true to husbands, but it is also true to wives. Some of you in this room, even your, your wife has left you, and you've been abandoned. So it's true for, for both spouses. But I, I, I want to declare, regardless of all of those things, we can at least affirm, according to this text, God cares about the covenant you make with the husband or the wife of your youth. I pray we would, too. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, Malachi chapter 2. And honestly, I'm I'm grateful, as hard as it is, that it um, continues to press up against lifestyles and calls me out. I know last week, just totally calling me out. Um, I pray that I wouldn't be like, the politics we see today of just insisting I'm right and not willing to listen. I pray that my heart would be softened, even in this moment, to see ways in which I'm being manipulative, ways in which that I'm not treating my wife the way that um, I promised in the covenant I would. I pray that anyone who is acting treacherously, men or women in this room, acting treacherously towards their spouse, I pray, Holy Spirit, haunt them. I pray, convict them. I pray, let them um, wake up in the middle of the night and feel truly feel, physically feel the wrath that is to come if they don't repent. I pray, God, that we would be a holy, pure people that honors you in what we do specifically in the area of marriage. But we need your help. We, um, we struggle and we have moments that we're, we fail, but I pray that um, you'd help us every day become more and more sanctified, that the 20-year-old self is not the same as the 35-year-old self. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.